Hello, people. This is Rob, and today I have a very special guest in the California Conservative. Miss Francis is very cool and awesome. We had a little bit of audio issues because of my recording program, um, so the podcast lost about 10 minutes in the end, but it is fantastic. We still got 90 minutes out of it, so it's all good. She is an absolutely fantastic guest. And I hope you enjoy. But before I let you listen to all the wisdom she's about to drop, we do have a sponsor that puts this on the air, and that is Strike Force Energy. Go to StrikeForceEnergy.com to get a little tin pouch that's full of the best energy that you can put into any drink that you want. That's right, any drink, coffee, soda, whatever. It's better than Red Bull, it's better than Monster, it's amazing. Check out StrikeForceEnergy.com, put in the promo code Blue Eye Mafia, and get yourself a cool 20% discount. Anyways, that's all I've got for you today. Here's the episode. Enjoy the California Conservative. Hello, and welcome to the Blue Eye Mafia podcast. This is Rob, and I am joined today by Francis, the California Conservative, not to be confused with the, the Cali Conservative, <laughs> two interviews in a row that sound very similar. Um... I, she, I, I, you're not a boy. He's a boy. So that's, <laughs> I am not. That's one way to differentiate there. I hope you um, can tell you, by my voice. Yes. And you go by the suede and interviewal, Francis. Yes. So nice to, nice to talk to you today, Francis. Mm-hmm. How are you? I'm, I'm good. I'm pumped. I get to have a conversation living in California and my age. I just turned um, 18 this past June. I don't have many people to talk to um, considering where I live. And uh, my age is the maturity. People are either very extremist or they don't care at all. They have no interest. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, I'm also in California. I live in the Bay Area. I always say where I live exactly because mm-hmm. I don't care. Yeah. But at that, and I'm, I got a beard and I'm old. Yeah. So, eh, you know, <laughs> I don't have to worry about my teenage friends because I have none. Well, other than you and Cali Conservative, but yeah. <laughs> and my so, family. <laughs> yeah. My friends are very understanding. They just, they haven't really formed politics yet because the rat and age were so self consumed that it's, yes. that it's all going on internally and not very uh, worldly yet. Yeah. Well, what, what do you, so you, so you're able to tell your friends where you stand on politics and they don't like, do you get a lot of crap or do you get a lot? Of, like, what do you get from that? Cause I know when I, when I talk to Cali conservative, he has to be careful. Who yeah. He talks to California, like it used to be, you know, not too long ago, it used to be, you know, LGBT coming out of the closet. And now it's in California. It's explicit conservatives that have to come out of the closet. <laughs> so, um, you know, I have actually had good experiences so far because I have, tailored a way to introduce myself and um i come from a place that's very genuine i think and very um not non-aggressive and um, I, I explain a lot because politics is one of my interests definitely in the career wise oh cool um so i explain that to people when they ask me my interests and um i become very good at explaining that but i have people encourage me like oh like you know don't be afraid i always keep in mind that men and women have died so that i can speak my mind without fear and I try to honor that sacrifice. Yes. And I try to remember that. No matter where you live, you a red state. You have you have the right to say what's on your mind. And I come from a gen- genuine place, and I want to honor that. So you've actually had pretty good... So people, because you explain it thoughtfully, people don't just freak freak out on you. Have you ever been yelled at or anything, or has it been pretty smooth? Um, I haven't been yelled at. I, um, I mean, I've gotten horrible things said to me on social media from cowardly strangers. Oh yeah, <laughs> but um, you know, as far as as far as um, 
what's going on in the world, like my world experience, I haven't had uh, too many bad experiences. The people have bad opinions, they kept them to themselves quite well because I haven't heard anything. But um, <laughs> I haven't made gossip circles either. So. <laughs> well, that that's a good thing. That's just a waste of time. Yeah. And most of those people stay in those gossip circles until they're 50 and, you know, they never leave the town. They never do anything. Yeah. You know, it's kind of a vicious cycle yeah. for a lot. When you peak in high school, it's never a pretty picture afterwards. No, no. <laughs> it's like a melting painting. Yeah. It's like a masterpiece that just slowly yeah. dilapidates. Yeah. High school. Don't get me started. <laughs> well, so you mentioned that um, mm-hmm. uh, in our chats. So where, where do you go to like, not specifically where do you go to school but like do you go to you you mentioned something about charter school yes so what's so i go to a virtual academy um i i'm just gonna be completely honest with you i am not a typical teenage uh teenage youth i was diagnosed with a chronic pain illness called fibromyalgia oh man you might have seen commercials for it yes so i was i struggled with it for many years and unbeknownst to me and many doctors it's hard to diagnose has over 200 symptoms um, and so I was struggling very much to keep up with school, keep functional. Um, luckily, I'm in a much better place now. Thank you. And uh, my mom in my freshman year found a, a virtual academy, if you will. It's an online school, but you also go to a small campus off of a high school campus. And it's almost like there's like four teachers. They all teach the, their subjects. Oh, okay. Um, and they do all the grades. So like you'll have the English teacher, English one, English two, English three, English four, and then you'll have, she'll do drama or she'll do something else. And it, it's, and kids all have school days, like in college, like this is the class you come to this day, it's a senior day, this is, or whatever credit you need to complete. And for me, because I missed a couple of years, I have credits all over that I need to complete. And so it works very, it's very functional school. They, I say that they say by education all the time. Oh yeah. That sounds like, that sounds like the way they should do all school. I, I really am not a fan of the current system. It's terrible. Oh no. Um, and just like there's no yeah. bullying there's like 100 kids that come to the school like at max um you know classrooms are not packed that's um, awesome you know it's just a different social environment when you die down the numbers it's just a different social environment kids that are usually getting d's and f's have gotten up to a's and b's really at school. yes so do they employ different teaching methods as well is it ju- is, is does it pretty much follow the model of like a lecture notes and that kind of, or do they, do they engage in conversation discussion? Do they have a little more like uh, in depth learning in oh, your view? Or? A lot of tutorials. So like when a couple classes are going on a teacher tutorial, that's basically anyone can come in and do their work from whatever class that they need and get the help that they need from any teacher that's available at the time. And so there's a lot of oh, okay, um, yeah. one-on-one and I'm a very one-on-one person. And so the um, when you've got a jam-packed like the class filled with forty kids and it's just an hour and you're rushing through the lesson, it, it's nothing like this. You can go back and get help and they have tutorials for specific classes. Um, we have online chats and stuff. But we, uh, you know, for some reason in public school we were never encouraged. To you're allowed to work with other students and get help from them. I actually through leadership set up a uh, tutoring uh, thing because really? yeah. Because I believe it was important that sometimes the kids that are doing well can help the other ones that maybe don't understand subjects. Oh, for sure. Why? And, and then because the kids are very helpful there. Oh yeah. Well, and then you have kids that are good at math or kids that are good at English and they can help each other, you know, because mm-hmm. kids have different strengths and the way they teach everybody is like, you're going to be good at everything or you're going to be mm-hmm. a failure. And it's like, well, that's not how life works. Like yeah. this is insane. Like I know 
like I'm a word guy. Like I was good at English. I like math. I don't do terrible at it, but like I've never, other than the basic geography <laughs> and stuff, I mean, geometry, not geography. <laughs> I'm terrible at geography actually. Um, but other than the basic math, you know, I never really used any of it. Uh, whereas with English, you, that, that's a important skill, but different kids have to, and I'll, I'll just share this with you. I was homeschooled all the way through high school. Yeah. Me, well, basically me too. I did a program that was home and I couldn't make school. Okay. Um, also the teacher would actually come to my house. That's how dedicated. Wow. They that's me. amazing. She came to my house twice a week and she was, she's retired now. Um, she was a wonderful teacher. She cared so much about her students. Um, she's an additional teacher. So she doesn't teach this is a class with kids with problems. Um, to come in, just like put their head down and relax or get from her because we all have kind of the same homework. So she's familiar with it. That's um, awesome. Yeah. And she helped me so much, um, through my illness and through my struggles. It's, uh, as you can imagine, yeah. being young, but feeling like you have a very old pain body is difficult. Well, one of my, so, one of my sister's yeah. best friends grew up with, uh, I'm gonna, I could get this wrong, but I think it was rheumatoid, rheumatoid, rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah. Yes. And it Horrible. was debilitating. And she was like, you know, I've known her since she was probably 11. And it was crazy, though, to watch this, like, when she's, especially when she was like 15, 16, 17, I think is when she, it was really bad. And it was just mm-hmm. like, this is insane. Like, yeah. it, it, she had the ailments of a 90 year old. And it was like, whoa, yeah. that must suck. I'm so- like, I'm glad I'm me. <laughs> Yeah, at that point, I'm a selfish ass, but you know, it's it to have that kind of chronic pain at mm-hmm. a young age is just not yeah. fair. You know, that's wrong. But you know, we all have our struggles, and you just have to be positive. And I let my interest and my passions take over me, uh, mind over matter. That oh, oh, hold on a second, my computer screen left me. Adobe, oh, no. Adobe's trying to do updates. I hate Adobe so much. <laughs> I'm with Steve Jobs. Adobe should die. Let it die already, okay. please. Um. <laughs> well, yeah. I, well, you have an incredibly positive attitude, especially to have gone through all that. And oh, thank you. That's very sweet. It's fantastic too that you found a school that's so responsive. I mean, you. Oh. I mean, you almost lucked out in a way. Oh I mean, yeah. You know, yeah. less the pain, but you know that you really did because so many kids nowadays, the school system such a it's such a mor- morass of despair. It it's just sad. You know, the kids that go to school, they're there for all different reasons. Some of them are musical geniuses that go on like tours or like have sports, you know, and um, they need a school that is only so many days a week or that it's adaptable schedule. There are some people that uh, one kid I knew uh, had dad had a heart attack in the middle of the night, died oh. uh, instantly. And he, the family was in shambles. He was dead. And so he needed to be looking at school. And, you know, that was, yeah. That could suit him. Yeah. In his morning, bless his heart. So, it, there's kids are there for all different reasons. A lot of them have like uh, issues with, you know, mental illness, physical illness, um, not to the extreme sometimes. Well, sometimes the extreme, but we're all there for, um, you know, everyone knows that we're all there for different reasons, but the same reason is that we don't fit into the public school system. Yeah. That's, that sounds like an awesome school. I, I, I'm gonna have, we're gonna have to email about this later too because I'm actually really curious. That's super okay. cool. My boy, I have two boys right now, yeah. and they're they're still little, um, and they but they go to a charter school right now, and it's a dual immersion. Mm-hmm. So, but we have up until grade six or eight. It depends. It's a new school, so it's growing. So we don't know how big it'll grow by the time they're older. So then after that, though, we're like, what are we gonna do next? 
And we're both sitting there like, hmm, I don't know. Yeah. For me, for me, <laughs> I was in, I, you know, middle school was a big change. I did well throughout elementary school and public school. And then I um, went on to like seventh grade. Where I started having symptoms of illness and other issues in my life. And uh, middle school, like, the homework was just brutal. They, they just laid on you. Um, and oh, yeah. uh, so I did well until like two thirds through seventh grade. And then I had to switch over to the homeschooling program. And then my parents transferred me to the charter school that I was just referring to. That's really, and I love it. Yeah. It sounds amazing. Well, I think with learning, one of the things that is that you have to have that one-on-one interaction, whether it's, you know, if it's a big class and the teacher can't give each kid one-on-one, at least have like Socratic style discussions, you know, where the students have Mm -hmm. one-on-one interaction and help each other. Cause this, Mm -hmm. this lecture, go home and work in your room in a, by yourself is just it's it works for a very specific segment of people that are able to adapt to it but nobody learns better that way because i was no. i was always good in school but i had teachers that did like uh group discussions so we'd have like four or five person groups and stuff and in college and we would do these discussions and those classes were way easier because you're able to kind of think you learn to think through this stuff mm-hmm. versus just listening for an hour, falling asleep at some points. Mm-hmm. I did that all the time. And then you go back and you're reading a textbook and you're writing stuff. When you actually sit down and you, they're like, so what does this mean? Mm-hmm. Now you have to explain it. And now your brain's going, ooh, yeah, what does that mean? And then you talk about it and you're like, I think it means this. And the other person's like, well, I think it means this. And before you know it, you, you get, you've actually figured it out. And you're like, I could actually talk yeah. about this. The big difference is the teachers that are there and want to teach. They want that one-on-one interaction with their students. They want that relationship that I think is so important. Um, you know, we've had, when I was uh, sick and when I was going through different things uh, through my high school years, the whole staff would meet. So like the principal, all the teachers and my parents and me would meet and they'd have like annual meetings and they have this for like majority of the students like there to check in on them um to see what they need to come up with a plan if needed it's kind of like an IEP thing which they offer there okay um so it's it's just awesome because you could tell that they really really cared and I was surprised I went to a a English teacher's class a few times before I went back to home in hospital and she knew my name and I was shocked because no one in public school it took (laughs) no one knows your name no teacher remembers your name no, not ever. Well, it, when I was at, uh, I went to junior college for two years or two and a half years. I can never remember now. Um, and then I decided to leave because I wanted to get married. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I, my goal was to be a lawyer when I went to school. And then my lawyer teacher talked me, I had a teacher that was a lawyer. He talked me out of it. So then my next plan was either marketing or mm-hmm. I really wanted to be an English teacher for high school. And then I was researching because like what it was going to take and the time. And I'm, I was also working in construction at the time and I was making more money at 19 in construction at that point in time that I would be in 10 years as an English school, English teacher in school. And I was like, well, that, and I'm really conservative and outspoken about it. And I'll probably get fired like every six months. I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, nope, I'm not doing that. You know, it's a kind of a shame that kind of imbalance in school of female teachers and male teachers. Some of the, my favorite teachers, led well, one that was horrible that bullied me, kind of, which, why would you become a teacher if you want to bully kids? Um, well, because you, it's a power position, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I guess. That's but, a really sick, that's sad. <laughs> yeah. So that was a public school. Um, but some of my favorite teachers are have been male. Um, and it's a shame that there's not more of them 
in, you know, in the system. Oh, yeah. I'm not that female yeah, teachers aren't great. I mean, I love my female oh, yeah. teachers well. But, you know. Oh, totally. Well, I think for especially, and this is not Texas people, but especially mm-hmm. for for young boys, it really does help to have some male role models around mm-hmm. because boys are very like, they tend to, they have a tendency to try to take advantage of women teachers. And I don't mean this like the women are weak or something, but boys are just like, oh, it's like, mom, mm-hmm. I'm going to test her more because I know dad's meaner. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. I can see that. And you would know how and boys I've been think, a- so... I've been around a lot of boys over the course of my life. I know this for a fact. Boys go, oh, yeah. girl, they're much nicer than guys. <laughs> and they're like, let's see what yeah. we can do to make your life miserable. Okay. In class, anybody? <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. I mean, mm-hmm. stuff like that constantly. Um, my brothers were, uh, I wasn't, I was a saint, but some of my brothers might have tortured my mom with stuff like that. We had a six foot snake oh. get loose in oh, the house no. once and my mom found oh, it no. in her laundry, in the towel closet. She opened up the towel That's closet, picked okay. up a towel and there's this giant <laughs> snake. So, yeah. <laughs> we didn't do that one on purpose. That was it. That was it. Yeah. We did some other stuff on purpose, but that one was not. Yeah. <laughs> we had to get rid of that snake. We were sad. <laughs> um. So it, it, with the, so this school experience sounds freaking amazing. Um, with it's still school though. You gotta do homework. Still. Oh yeah. Well, school is school sucks, but you learn. So it's like it, yeah, it's the it's the every anything good in life takes pain. You know, mm-hmm. like like even like just setting up this podcast. You know, I'm like, oh, let's do a podcast. And we recorded like eight minutes on our phone one day, and we're like, yeah, that kind of is fun. It sounds like dog crap but it's fun so then i'm like oh, okay i'll figure out how to do this Whew. yeah it was I, it's like so, 40 it's hour always, work week to yeah, get it figured than, out <laughs> well i mean easier than it actually it's, it's easier in your mind i think the word that yeah <laughs> like i said no no i totally understand what you yeah i i totally understand what you mean trust me i turn into a marble mouse sometimes and i'm like i'll listen back to because i listen yeah. back to most of our podcasts to check audio to make sure that everything's good um, and sometimes I'm like, man, do I really sound that retarded all the time? <laughs> not offense. That wasn't to offend anybody. I'm not an ableist. Just mm-hmm. that's a good term. People. Yeah. I, you know, <laughs> people make it like a lot of, um, curse words that people use back in the day. It wasn't to offend anyone. It was just what you said to your friends. You joke around. Oh yeah. What's well, a description? Like I have an, I have an aunt that's actually, genuinely is retarded and not bad she seems normal until like she can't read very well like you you realize but as little kids we didn't even know and it's like i never said that word once as like it never it's never been offensive like one i've called my brother's retarded in front of her a million times and she doesn't care (laughs) she's like whatever but the other thing is, it's like these words, like people get so ridiculous because mm-hmm. I'm not saying it to offend that person. Like the intent that I have when I say the word in the context that I say it in, yeah. it matters a lot, you know? And that's one of these things with, you know, with the N word, with the new F word, you know, the second one, because this is the problem is it every, every time you start creating new words, you pretty soon you're going to have F word three. P word 17. <laughs> you're like, yeah. you're like, it sounds like a bingo call out or something. Yeah. It's like, yeah. 
I mean, like if you're discussing something like a situation that happened that you witnessed, you're not a racist if you say the N-word. You're not. If you're talking about the situation in context, because you're relaying information, you're not calling anybody. Now, if you call a black person that because you're mad at them, you're racist. (laughs) You know, like it's different. Um, But with it, how is that in school? Do you have, do you deal with any, I'm guessing there's some sensitivity to, although your school sounds really cool. So maybe you don't even deal with it. Yeah. You know, everyone, it's kind of like a mini college. Everyone just does their own thing. And, um, uh, they come and go and everyone gets along kind of fine. Um, you know, a lot of kids come and go at this school. So you'll see new faces and other people disappear. Um, but, you know, it's a school where it's, it's not like a school where you have to live with kids that really just need the attention, need the help. Um, so it's just, it's a great place. Um, we do it in terms, kind of like a college. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, so, so we do it like for one semester that you would have where you just do a whole subject copy in like a public school. You complete a one study one semester or one term, as you say. Oh, that's that's brilliant. Yeah, so it's a fast so you, way so you, to get credits done. And you're able to focus your your efforts and like really mm-hmm. delve into something versus six or seven topics that you're trying to yeah. You just around do in your the, it depends on how many classes you want to take, honestly. But usually it's just like we'll do like math and science and like English and history and together. That's awesome. What's your What's your favorite subject? I, you said you're thinking about politics, possibly. So, what's your? Oh yeah, there's a big story behind that one. Okay, um, share it. <laughs> um, so I am an I uh, I'm good at all subjects. I'm usually a pretty good student, A's and B's, straight A's. Um, I love English. I'm very artsy in a way. I love poetry. I write poetry, um, and I love history. I love American history. It's never been forced on me. It's just where I, what I love to talk about. I listen to documentaries for fun and then I'll see them in class. My teacher will play one in class. I'm like, Oh, I've seen this. Like, I've watched this. I'm that kind of nerd. <laughs> so that's awesome. So I'm that kind of nerd. So, um, I do that for fun and, um, that's kind of where my passion is. But when I was sick, I became a news junkie. I became obsessed with the news and the ideal of morality and journalism as you have to do to the people to tell the truth and to tell it as you know it um, as best you can. And uh, I became shocked at the bias in the news that I witnessed and the instability in the news I witnessed and um, the child's play, if you will, in the news. Um, that people are political pundits instead of objective journalists. And it was really in, kind of insulting to me because it's, a, it's something that I really respect. There's a side of my mind, like I said, that's very artsy and I understand the emotions and everything. The other side is that shuts down and I'm objective and it's important to me. Oh, yeah. To be that way. Well, I mean, even art, even artists have to be objective in like you see with modern art, right? That Mm -hmm. people always kind of bemoan the loss of objective beauty standards for art because now you have a toilet in an installation in New York City or you have the piss Christ or you have that are. They're not freaking art. That's not art. I'm sorry. Like, it's just not. It's, there's one, it's a toilet. <laughs> it's, it's a damn toilet. You didn't do, you didn't even make the toilet. <laughs> like, that pisses me off. I know. It's like, if, if it's your art, you should have made the whole damn thing. Now, I tried my hand as an artist as a kid. I, I can make little silly cartoons. I mm-hmm. can't draw. I, I wish I could. I wish I could sing. I also cannot do that. My poor family's had to deal with a bad singer for years. <laughs> But, you know, but when you have that talent, it's awesome. But if everybody's an artist who can 
make something offensive or make something weird or like Jackson Pollock and he's pissing all over a paint splatter, <laughs> you know, then, but then it's unfair to the actual artist though, because for the artist, like, how can you appreciate great art if everybody's a great artist? You know, it's, it, mm-hmm. it's, it is really weird. Sorry. I didn't mean to go off on that tangent. That no, was- <laughs> no, go ahead. Get podcast. <laughs> and I also love poetry too. Oh, yay. Although I don't get to read enough, but you know, mm-hmm. I work in construction, but I do write poetry. I don't ever put it anywhere, but I write it. I have stacks of my. It's good for the soul. Oh yeah, totally. I like to read it, and then like I'll read something for like five years and go and be like, man. Yeah, I, I like. It. <laughs> it's the same with me. I'm so fashion. Like I have pen pals. Like I write letters to people out of state and out of the country. Oh, that's awesome. How do you? Yeah. Okay. How do you find your pen pals? Instagram, <laughs> social media, baby. Yep. It social media is awesome for finding people that are interesting. Yes, it is. You'd be surprised. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't be talking to you if it wasn't for it. I know. And it's so <laughs> wonderful. And we're here now. We're having a great discussion. And it's, you know, it's just a great, like, it's almost cathartic uh, for me talking to someone uh, with no filters, basically. Oh, yeah. Oh, and you can say anything you want. So if you cuss or something, I don't care. I mean, if you ever. <laughs> it's okay. I'm an angel. I'm an angel. Oh, good. good. So don't worry. I was going to say, if you listen to some of the episodes we've done, I don't, e- I don't even know. I, <laughs> I actually should make this correction. Although I probably should do it on the intro, but it's not my, I did an interview with public Terry and said, I never edit, I never edit the podcast other than personal information, but I did edit eight minutes out one time and I'm not going to explain why. Let's just say it wasn't, it was jokes that weren't funny enough and I cut them out. But other than that, we never edited anything. So yeah, we said some, we said some stuff. (laughs) My brother, Joe likes to, he likes to make me upset. During the podcast. And so he'll just say <laughs> messed up stuff just to get me to go, oh, man, why'd you, why'd you do that, bro? It's more editing. No, I don't edit it. Oh, you don't? No, it's only like- one, one time when we first started the podcast and we were kind of figuring it out, um, I, I cut w- w- one episode. I cut some stuff out because it just it, mm-hmm. it was just dumb. We were trying to be funny. There was a joke line of jokes that just didn't. When I listened yeah. back to him, I was like, I'm, I'm not laughing. And, and they were offensive. They were offensive jokes. So if they're not yeah. funny, I'm like, no, got to go. <laughs> but now I, now I even leave those. I don't care anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, back to objectivity in journalism. So that, so that, yeah, that was where I really got into politics and kind of came out as um, realizing that I'm somewhere between a libertarian and a conservative. Like your uh, buddy, the Pu- publicarian. Yeah, publicarian. I always pronounce yeah. it wrong. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. Um, oh yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, he well, is. Well, I think I, what I have found is most conservatives. I mean, in California tend to be like there's not really like Ted Cruz conservatives in California. No. not typically. Yeah, it's um, also with my generation. It's it's um, being very open minded um, and not worldly. Mm-hmm. It's a very um, innocent naivety that I've seen with kids that really just don't know what to believe. And I often think about what the right thing is, what the right thing to believe in is what's best for my country, what's best for my people. Um, and I really just want that. And so I, I'm a very open-minded. I'm always, you know, I'm not always changing my mind. I've always kind of stayed to the right um, on, on many issues because it just makes common sense to me. Um, and it's good governing policy. Obviously I believe that it's good in practical life, not just in belief. 
Um, and so I've just always, I just developed that. Um, when I became obsessed with the news um, and became very critical of the news, I was reading a lot of news and I discovered that I agree with many politicians on the right um, and they're, what they're trying to do. Was there any particular politicians that kind of were like your favorites? Yes, that- Trey Gowdy. Trey Gowdy from South Carolina. <laughs> With his faux hawk? I love Trey yeah. Gowdy. <laughs> he's, he's a genius. He's a genius. If you look up his speech that he did um, at a at a college, it like it gave me chills. Like he's a genius. He's a great lawyer. He's I wish he would become a judge in some circuit. He's right. He I, and what he did, one of the things that I became um I can't stand the injustice, especially to any of our soldiers or uh, Marines or anyone that served in the military, because of Benghazi, I had a burning rage. And because of the politics and what I saw Democrats do, I became totally disenfranchised from the party. I knew I was never going to be a Democrat um, because of what they did or anyone. I didn't ever want to be like them, uh, you know. And so what the Republicans did on the Benghazi Council, special council, I, I thought it was very brave because they were doing it for these men. And the 30-some CIA people service people that they left behind to die. You know, I watched the movie 13 hours. I read the book. I love the side. Oh, um, was the movie good? I haven't seen that movie yet. I it's, don't ask it's how. It's so good. It's Is not it? Michael Bay explosions. It's great. It's got like the little like Michael Bay, like sparkly explosion, but it's okay, so I'll, good. I'll admit that's how I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> <laughs> I watched too many Transformers movies and I'm like, I don't know. I can do this. <laughs> you have to watch it. I love it. It's it's it okay, makes me like, sad but proud at the same time. And I think that's what a movie should do. Yeah. I think that's what Hollywood uh, should invoke. You know, uh, feeling instead of politics. Oh, totally. Well, I think when people when you talk about the troops, they're just guys that get sent to do a job and they do their job and that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're doing it for us. If the politics yeah. are bad, you know, if if Bush is lying about WMDs or whatever, that's not any soldier's fault ever. So to blame no. the soldiers and to treat them badly is just and to lie to the families of the fallen straight to their faces oh. at the funeral. There's nothing more disgraceful than Hillary Clinton and her gang of flags that did that. I'm sorry. Oh no, yeah, she's she's the worst, literally. Yeah, she's <laughs> that's not, not hyperbole. I don't know if you've ever seen this video, but for some reason it was on YouTube and it, the caption was like in the description, it was like little, for some reason, my son believes Hillary Clinton is evil and he wants Donald Trump to win the election. And he, they wake up and they tell him like, Donald Trump won. He's like, really, really? He's like crying and like screaming. Yes. Yes. And then they tell him like, Oh, Hillary Clinton won. He's like, no, like he's like crying and stuff. And it was like, that was me. That was me. Like the whole election cycle. Just like <laughs> Hillary can't win. She simply can't oh, win. Gosh. That little boy was me. He was my spirit animal. <laughs> that election night. That's all. I got to look that video up. Yeah. I- I'll send it to you. I got to find it, man. It was great. Yeah. Send it to me. Well, with that election, I think what was insane to me is one, how people reacted afterwards. The The left, the tolerant left was just, it's like, what are you guys doing? Like, you guys were saying that Trump and his supporters are going to do exactly what you ended up doing. Mm-hmm. Like, do you guys forget everything five minutes later? Like, do you guys have any memory? They don't. You know, it's like, and and then it's like, Hillary stole the primaries mm-hmm. from Bernie, who I actually like Bernie more than Hillary, not because his policies are good, because they're crazy. Look, I'm just going to give everything to everybody for free forever. It's just going to be how it's going to be. 
It's it's gonna be the thing. Don't worry, yeah. bagels for Bernie. And like it's a, actually that I I used to do <laughs> bagels for Bernie bits during the election, but on a diff. I didn't I didn't have this IG yet. And man, I wish I I think I lost all those videos. I did, <laughs> I did them on my business page. I don't know. Oh. <laughs> So I took them all down and then I'm not going to try to find them, but that was my favorite impression I ever did. But it was always bagels for bunny. (laughs) Trying to explain socialism through bagel sales. I don't know. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. Um, Oh, what was I going to say? Now I forget. Uh, When, when, how do you, so besides the journalistic stuff, what were the most compelling issues for you? Kind of in your, if you will, red pilling, I guess. It sounds like you're pretty reasonable to begin with. So, Oh, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Um, uh, well, my best friend's little brother, and he's also my friend, so I guess he's my friend. Uh, his friend, a girl that he knew, in our county, her father was killed by an illegal immigrant and he was a cop. And it was other officers were injured. And so it comes very close to home. Um, I'm going to be honest. My dad was a cop. And um, so I have this gnat flying around my face. Yeah. Uh, okay. I'm like, so is that I've okay? done this a couple of times already where I'm like, <laughs> I'm not having a seizure. Okay. I just, this, it's like this tiny little gnat. It's like, oh, oh. they're the worst. <laughs> so my, my dad was a cop. Um, and so it hits very close home to me. He was, he never, uh, you know, he was shot at, he's, he was injured on the job before, um, not by bullets, but, you know, just through the physicality of it. Um, and he was, he's unbelievably fair and stern. Having him as a father is infuriating because of that. And he's never hurt anyone, um, but he was put in danger constantly. And so it's kind of hard to say, like, cops are, you know, cold-blooded killers or killers of any kind when they're just trying to protect the public good and they're doing a hard job, you know, under public scrutiny all the time. And of course there are, there are racist cops out there. There are bad cops out there, but, but you know, a bad cop is technically a criminal. So, (laughs) so it's like a criminal, like I hate, I can, you know, detest criminals and you can still love cops, like the true nature of a cop. You know, I, my teacher that would come to my house, um, I could tell that she was very, uh, I don't want to speak for her, but like, I can tell she was kind of liberal minded. She was shocked that my dad was such a gentleman and such a, such a good guy. Um, and so polite because she's like, he's like the uh, stereotype of what you don't want all like knights in shining armor to be. Um, he's been retired now. He worked for almost, I want to say 28 years on the job. Wow. Long time. Yeah. That's... Long time of service. That's and awesome. He was very, he started very young and he was very good at his job. And so also it just, immigration is a big one for me. I live in California. Um, you know, half, half the, I believe this is correct statistic, but like half of the, uh, state here um spanish at home oh um that sounds about right yeah yeah and so spanish speaking and you know i i believe that you know we should be an english-speaking country not because i don't love languages i i obviously love english but because our founding documents are in english and because um also the some ambassador i saw him on tucker cross and he was like an ambassador um for wanting English to be our country's, to say as our country's national language. And he wanted this because he grew up like Ukraine, like the half the country can't talk to each other. Like they're speaking different languages. And he wanted this, I think, because he grew up in a country that couldn't talk to each other. 
And so having unifying language is very important. And also having a culture that uh, abides by the law is very important to me. And also I want to know the people that are coming yeah. to our country. Oh, for sure. Well, yeah. with um, – with the language thing, one of the things that people, I, I, it's a double-edged sword for me, not because I don't want us all to speak English. I think everybody that becomes an American citizen should speak fluent e- English. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, one of the th- funny things is people are so against other languages because of the pushback. And it's like, no, it's good for us to be educated too. Yeah, It's just, it's like this weird conundrum, but it's also where you have like Democrats or the more liberal Republicans. I grew up next door to um, illegal aliens, mm-hmm. right? Wet, wet backs, as we used to call them when we were mm-hmm. kids. They didn't care because we were all buddies, right? But that, the reason they call them that is they crossed the river. That's the, mm-hmm. that term came from. And they literally crossed the river. I'm no joke. They hid behind oh, tumbleweeds wow. to get away from border patrol. Yeah. They're great guys, mm-hmm. a great family. But what was funny about being around them is that their parents worked 12 hours a day for like four or $5 an hour. They bust their butts. They gave their kids a better life, all these different things. Although they, they had a decent life in Mexico because they were actually somewhat mm-hmm. wealthy in Mexico. So mm-hmm. I never, I was like, why did you guys come here? And they're like, I don't know. <laughs> but what what's sad is like the Democrats go, oh, you know, we want to leave them alone, leave them alone. It's like, well, yeah, but you're not letting them become mm-hmm. like they're not enriching the culture other than the work they contribute mm-hmm. because they, they're they afraid. Mm-hmm. Right. So they were always afraid of being deported, La Migra, you know, all that. <laughs> so it's like you relegated them to being like a second class citizen. So you're going to let them be you're going to let them be here. You're going to let them work for cheap, but you don't yeah. want them to enrich our country and therefore be enriched by our culture. Like, and people go, Oh, well the culture, you know, mm-hmm. you have to respect people's cultures. Like one, say a middle Eastern, I have middle, a lot of middle Eastern friends. If they bring cool stuff, like their delicious exactly. food, curry chicken is delicious. When they bring that into our culture, it enriches our yes. culture. But then when our culture says, don't punch your wife anymore, that also enriches their culture. You know, it's like, it's a nice blend, but assimilation is essential because if you don't do that, you get Dearborn, Michigan, where they want to institute Sharia law. Every woman has to be covered up or they'll kick the shit out of her. You know, it's like, that's not progressive. That's not liberal. And that's not tolerant. No, it's literally the opposite. Yeah. I'm, I'm all for like, um, what I think, like, I'm all for different cultures, but we need the same values, you know, that unites us. That makes us the United States of America. Growing up in California, obviously, we all look different. We all, you know, we speak a different languages. Oh, like, yeah. It's all, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> I, I, you know, I wasn't, I didn't even know, you know, racism would exist growing up here unless someone told me I was, you know, until someone told me I was a racist because I was white or something like that. Oh yeah. Oh, Trump. Um, I got called a racist once on Facebook for using the term states rights in discussing the civil war. Oh, and the lady was like, you're a racist. And I'm like, one, I'm part Mexican. So booyah. Mm-hmm. Two, I'm from California. I don't really know how to even yeah, do racism. It's like, right. I'm not, <laughs> you might need to give me an instructional yeah, video. Like, you can't. And I love that about California. I really do. It's a beautiful state. And I, I the people are, oh, me too. when they're not like, uh, when they're not, you know, in politics, <laughs> they're great. They're great. <laughs> and I really love that. But, you know, I yeah. made a lot of good points. I mean, you need like, um, I love that we all don't pull for the 
same sports teams. I love that we don't all look alike. I love that we all don't need to go to the same restaurants. Um, I love all that stuff, but um, concern for like what unifies us as Americans. Um, you know, language is one of those. Um, obviously, I love other languages. I'm taking Spanish, obviously, <laughs> um, living in California. Um, I, I love um, all that, but it's very important that the people that come here understand that, you know, we're not going to change them and that if they're coming here, then it seems like they want to be one of us, like you're one of us, like a brother or sister, you know what yeah. I mean? Like an American. Oh, yeah. Well, I think that's one of the places where the current immigration system fails so yeah. badly because we want that cheap labor, but we're not willing to reform the immigration system, simplify it, make it more advantageous. And the other thing is, too, is it like with the children, child separation and everything, right? That is a very complicated situation. It's not as simple as the media wants to portray it as. No. Be because one, a lot of those kids were getting separated from child sex traffickers and slave traffickers. So a lot of those kids were not with their parents. They were with their parents in quotation marks. So, you know, that's a really complicated situation. Like the, the look is bad. Yes. But at the same time, the port of entry is mm -hmm. only a few miles away. So if you are a legitimate refugee, why the, why in the actual hell would you try to go across a far more dangerous place with your children and risk being separated when you could go to the port of entry and if you legitimately have a claim as a refugee, they will let you through. But the other part of it, it's weird to me, is that everybody's like, oh, it's so bad. It's so bad. It's like Mexico's our neighbor. Mm -hmm. They're right freaking there. If Mexico or other South American countries are so horrible, shouldn't we expect them to be better for their people because they're failing their people? If, they, if their people are in such dire plight that they have to risk drowning their children- yeah then maybe there's something wrong with that country. But you can't say anything bad about the Mexican government. They're run by the cartel, which I, the cartel's evil. I mean- Evil. Evil, evil. True evil. evil. Oh, true evil. I've known guys that were actually in the cartel before. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I grew up around guys that not weren't cartel. I didn't, well, some of their dads might have been. But, you know, I've seen that kind of- the the impact it has on life in general, mm -hmm. the the town, the the neighborhoods, it's not good. It's a very bad impact across the board, and it spreads. Yeah, you know, you look at parts of L. I work all over the state of California, and in L. A. There's places up in Northern California that are similar, but by right down the street from Staples Center, it's like Mexico, like straight up Mexico. Mm -hmm. That's bad. You shouldn't have cart vendors every five feet on the sidewalks blocking the sidewalks. There's no other, there's no Asians, there's no white people, there's nobody but Mexicans in those areas because they segregate, they ghettoize instead of assimilating. They're not enriching the culture, they're hurting our culture and bringing bad parts of their culture rather than bringing the good from mm -hmm. their culture, the heart, the work ethic, the dedication, the family values that they do have. And bringing those to us and then us going, hey, look, you know, you can get a house, you can get a better job, you have worker right, you have worker rights, you have all these different things. But instead, we're isolating them because it's advantageous. And the Republicans go, we have to fix this, but they don't really want to. The Democrats go, we have to fix this, but they don't really want to because all their special interests are served. The Democrats get voters, the Republicans get cheap labor for the agricultural industry, and it's great. Everybody's fine. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's just a, it's a, it's a situation there's this quote, I can't remember if it's by, but everyone would 
rather accept a simple lie than a complex truth. And what this is, the immigration is a complex truth. Um, and so I, I have a lot of com- people, I, I think I'm against immigration. No, no, of course not. I think it's a great thing. I think it's, these are great, their majority are great, hardworking people. I'm for a legal, legal immigration, not illegal immigration. Yes. Well, don't you love that now when you say I'm against illegal, they go, oh, you're anti-immigrant. You know, I think I never said that. No, it's, it's, like, it's not that I don't want, I think the immigration policies and needs major reform and the immigration system needs major re- reform. And I, I support, I support a bipartisan, you know, or not bipartisan person. Um, no, it I, would be awesome if it was bipartisan, honestly. Bipartisan, partisan, whatever you want to call it. Like it's just get the problem solved. Like it's so terrible. Yeah. It really is. And I really have a lot of compassion for the people that, um, that are coming here, but also there are people like a Jordanian official uh, or someone uh, was just got people from uh, the Middle East that were coming over here too. That were like paid to. Oh yeah. So it's like it's not just well, that- you know it's not just it's everyone that wants to come in the country. And it's like we need to know who these people are. We've got a lot of enemies out there, and you know I don't want to see my fellow Americans hurt. I don't want to see the terrors of war come to our country. And it's just a fact that that we've got a lot of enemies and they want to do us harm and they'll take advantage of our compassion and our love for other countries and other peoples as well. Yeah. Well, I think with like, with the, with, with the, the um, middle Eastern immigration to the Southern border, it happens a lot. There's a town. I can't remember the name of it. Dang, gummit. It's down by, uh, it's down by San Diego, but it's farther South. It's closer to the border. It's like 45 minutes North of the border or so just about that. And it has the largest Muslim population in the state of California. Wow. But guess it's right next to the border for a reason. It's because they're coming in through the border and they're settling there because their families Mm -hmm. are there. So it's like this way. It's like literally visual evidence of, oh, yeah, a lot of Middle Mm -hmm. Easterners come to the southern border. Now, is a person bad just because they're Muslim? No. I will say this. Islam as an ideology is very problematic because it's not just a religion. It's a political philosophy. People don't realize this. It was the first constitution that we really know of is Medina's constitution in Islam. So Muhammad created a political system and a religion at the same time. None of the other major religions are that none. There's not, you can't find another one. that's like Sikhism, Buddhism, Hinduism, Catholicism, uh, or any Christianity, um, Judaism, none of them. Well, Judaism is the only one that has some of that kind, but it still doesn't have the same kind of comprehensive legal system in it. So, yeah. And what um, I try to remind people is that Islam is not a race of people. The highest Muslim population is in Indonesia. Um, and we never had any problems with Indonesia. Have we? I can't think of any. I don't think we have. Now, they have a lot of problems mm-hmm. that stem from their beliefs because they have some very radical segments of the Indonesian population. And the, the government there kind of doesn't like them. So it's very weird because like, right, in the last few months, they've had some problems where they were killing a lot of villages of Muslims. <laughs> I really kept up that. So I'll, I'll take your I word d- for it. I don't have time to. I, I could be saying that. I'm saying it kind of wrong. It's that's just a very broad. They were having some weird issues with that, where there were people getting kind of picked on in Indonesia or right next mm-hmm. to Indonesia, but it was Indonesians that were involved in it. But yeah, you're dead on with that though. Is that it is not a race. I, 
Uh, I've had people, so many people go, oh, well, that you, that's racist. I'm like, it's a literally a religion. That's like calling me, it's like saying somebody's racist for not liking Catholics. And guess what? Anybody can make fun of a Christian or a Catholic or a mm-hmm. this, any, d- name another denomination. The, the the comedies, comedians, TV, everything goes after them, but not one. There's one that we don't touch unless you're South Park. <laughs> you know what's really funny? Um, the you know the Benghazi video that Hillary blamed, uh, or the Obama officials have blamed the Benghazi elites that were actually terrorists attacking. Oh, them. on the U- yeah, the YouTube video. Yeah, the YouTube video. The uh, yeah the the famous YouTube video <laughs> that was actually made by a Muslim immigrant who was criticizing Islamic culture. And came to America. He was apparently. I watched yeah. a video of it. He was like terrified, like Hillary Clinton was going to kill him or something, because like he's got a lot of hate. Like he checked, he checked oh, for yeah. like, car bombs and stuff like that because they they blamed this video on him, and he was just terrified. Um, and he got a lot of hate for that because he was criticizing his previous culture yeah. because he came to America because he was yeah. about Well, and what's crazy too is they never talked about that. They never talked about how he was a victim. No, all he did, all he did was make a satirical video that was. I mean, it wasn't even that offend. I watched the whole thing and I was like, "I'm, how are they offended by this? I don't, I couldn't understand. I was like, it's not even like Larry David's, when he did the uh, crucifix dropping in the toilet, that was worse than anything that happened in that YouTube video. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's another one of the victims of Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Posse, she, I guess. <laughs> oh, she's such a peach, man. She's such a peach. Yeah. I'm, you know, <laughs> When the beams came about her going back into the woods, I would cry laughing. I just thought that was the best thing. Oh, my favorite is the is just that clip of um we came, we saw he died. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. It's so creepy. It's like uh well that and then during the during the campaign, she had so many weird like like seizure moments. Like the one where she says to drink chai tea. Sorry, my dog is walking around. Like, go, go. I was like, no. Oh, yeah, I saw, I can see you over there. <laughs> it's cool, cool dog. You're like, get out. It's okay. Trust me, we have a podcast coming out. It's a bonus episode this week where uh, some, I can't, can I say who they are? I can't say they are. They're anonymous at this point. Um, but there's some close friends, and they they walked out. I only had two mics set up, and they walked out and bombed the uh-huh. podcast or, or joined it. It was awesome, but you hear, like this mic noise the whole time because everybody's hitting the mics because we were passing it back and forth. Oh, the audio is so bad. The podcast is pretty funny, but the audio is terrible. I'm like, oh man. So there, there's a treat. It's well, it'll be out before this one because we'll drop this next Wednesday. Okay, cool. That's, Thank you very much. Oh yeah, and I'll do the art for it and everything. And I'm gonna um, torture myself if I listen to it. <laughs> Oh no, listen to it. Have fun. Okay. I hope I'm I always people tell me I sound better than in my head. <laughs> oh, for sure. Okay. No, you're you're awesome. You're, Thank you're, you. you're doing you're doing fantastic. All right. Let's transition a little bit here because I have okay. a pressing question. Two actually. And I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna get you to some controversial stuff so some people can hate you too. At the okay, same time. thank you. I appreciate you're, it. So you're welcome. Yeah, and I haven't applied for any serious but, jobs <laughs> No, no, I, but I want conservatives to hate you. That's why I ask these questions. So are there any issues on the conservative side that you're not in line with or that you kind of go, ooh, I don't know if I'm actually on that side? Because I don't actually – I try not to consider myself – I don't yeah. consider myself a conservative. I consider myself pragmatic. More yeah. – yeah, like I don't 
I hate the term conservative because it gets conflated with like holding on, excuse me, holding on to the old. And it's like, no, well, I want to hold on to our traditional values, but I'm also progressive because I want to see the world get better and things improve. So it's very weird that we get these labels that are so restrictive. And it's like, if you're conservative, you have to believe this, 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 and this. So what are the things that you kind of diverge from what people would consider a typical conservative? Um, you know, one of the things I guess I, I don't mind gay marriage that much. I, I don't mind, you know, um, LGB, you know, stuff. Like I, I wish people would identify more as Americans than by their who they sleep with or who they are as you know, who they are as people instead of just like who they sleep with as like an identity. But um besides that, you know, I've been in a book called The Great by U L Levin. Oh totally. And it's uh, the founding uh the like the father of Anglo American the left and the right, Anglo American left and right. And um both were around the American Revolution, what pamphlets was Thomas Paine, I'm sure you've heard of, and what was Edmund Burke. And Edmund Burke, people don't, a lot of Americans on the right even identify with Thomas Paine, he wrote Common Sense, he was there for our troops, and everything like that, and he was all about liberty and democracy. Um, but uh, Edmund Burke was what we consider like a conservative in the way that he wanted to preserve the old order, but with slow change over time. Because there was a major revolutions. And every the French, he correctly predicted the downfall of the French Revolution, and he argued with Thomas Paine over it in pamphlets um, back from France in Britain. And uh, so, and they were friends with a lot of our founding fathers and stuff like that. So I'm reading okay. all about this kind of uh, theology. It, it really comes to a philosophy of what we think of uh, human nature, of practicality and governing, of justice and order. It, I'm all about kind of philosophy. Um, and so that's kind of what I'm studying now. Um, and I think I'm still forming a lot of the thoughts. Um, as a, a young, as a young woman, as a young girl, um, and I haven't, you know, I, I'm still living with my parents. I haven't really branched out yet. I haven't really, you know, gone, you know, out and won't pay taxes for myself and you know, gotten like a real steady career job or anything like that. So I'm very open-minded, um, and I'm not close-minded to anything except maybe communism and socialism. I don't think that those are good ideas, and I would, uh, I, I'm a capitalist, um, you know, but there, there are ways to make capitalism fair or better. You know, rather than just going full radical and saying democratic socialism, which is really just socialism, yeah, you know, just put, made it up and or communism. Um, well, I, the democratic socialism thing sounds a lot like what Hitler did with nationalist so, mm-hmm. national socialism. Yeah, eerily close. <laughs> the Nazi Party. It's like, uh, man, don't start giving it extra names. So I just want to look up a quote really quick. I have on Instagram that was about Simon. Oh yeah, go ahead. Um, so he was he was. Um, a lot of people don't identify with him because he was called inconsistent throughout his career because he would he would write for the American Revolution and he came to different conclusions for different uh, reasonable uh, reasons. He um, he was for the American Revolution for, for different reasons of pain and like tyranny. He was like they have a right because they're not mean or they're doing that. He became a very a figure through that. He became popular because he wrote against a lot of the liberal people in time, which wanted all. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. Yeah, he had a different perspective than they're like, nah, we like our version. Yeah, so um, if I can find it really quickly. Yeah, no, and now I'm going to have to read Edmund Burke. Damn it. You're, <laughs> a, you're adding to my... He's, he's a genius. You're adding to my reading list. It's too long already. I have to listen to audiobooks now. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. Um, he's very wise. Like He came up with I don't know, his history are destined to repeat it. He's kind of famous for that quote. That was him. Oh, so yeah. Him. Oh, I yeah. can't find it right now, but he believed in a uh, change over time. So, like, when people wanted the French Revolution to come to Britain, it was like the um, monarchy and all of the order that they had there. He wrote that even though he was a Whig at the time and his party had 
he wanted slow change over time because of he saw what the radicals were doing. He didn't really believe in radical anything, even if they were liberals at the time. Well, and he he foresaw the the anarchy that tends to settle in when you when you change too quickly. Yes, it creates chaos and you lose order. So when you get rid of an old order, if you don't have a new order ready to go right then. You're going to have chaos and chaos is yeah. worse than a bad order. And so he, he was a respectful change because obviously they worked for a long time and they had to change them fully over time as well or them. So he wasn't against change. Like I think many conservatives oh, yeah. are not against change. We just want to respect and consider the values that got us this far. And for America, the values that got us this far are kind of the best that you can do. Yeah. So there's a respect for, sure. for that and there's a love for that and there's one of preserve that. I agree that it's a hard book to read because it involves so much philosophy, but it's very interesting talking about the left and right. So I would recommend it. It's a great debate by Yuval Levin, and I got it on. I love to take us on it. Um, instead of writing in the margins, I just, you know, I do it digitally. Um, so that's what I'm kind of reading right now. I'm very more interested um, in, uh, he wrote another book about policy, um, about healthcare and everything, about compromise and what people could do that I also was reading um, because I wanted to discuss policy and politics. Uh, um, to see, because that's the greater good. That's what governing is. Ah. It's not just winning an election. It's compromise. It's finding out what works for best for people. And I yes. think what a lot of politicians forget is that even though if you won, there's still people that voted against you. There's still people that have different interests. And because you, you have to be like a mother or father to them all. You have to take care of your kids. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> like you gotta, you gotta, you gotta be a parent. And that's where I have a very, my teachers are told me I'm an idealistic look on politics. And, but I really do believe that can be used for good. And I believe it was intended use for good. We just lost sight of that. Well, I mean, think of our, our think of our founding fathers in the country that we ended up with. That came from politics. It came mm -hmm. from, I, you know, it's politics is dealing with the dealing with the way that you run your country. It's dealing with the way that you run your town. It's dealing with the way you run your county, your state. You know, mm -hmm. and I think that's one problem we have is we look. So we've gotten to this point where we look at the federal government and the presidential election as politics. And it's like, do you ever go to your town mm -hmm. meetings? Do you go to school board elections? Do you go to county meetings, which are, I've, I've had to go to some of those. Oh my goodness. They're so awful. <laughs> and they're so poorly prepared. Even if you watch C-SPAN, you're like, oh, they're not them. Like some of them, like a Trey Gowdy are super intelligent. Yeah. But most politicians are not that much smarter than your average person. No. They really aren't. They're just people, and that's what they specialize in. Just like a drywaller specializes in drywall, or you know, a gas station specializes in gas. These different things, we all have our specialties. But th these career politicians are not these like omniscient beings that know so much more. Mm -hmm. They're actually terrible at their job too. If you look at their track record yeah. over the last since World War II, really. <laughs> Other than JFK, I mean, it, the presidents haven't been great. Mm -hmm. Reagan was okay. I got some issues with some of the stuff he did too. But you know, when you look at it just from an, an objective perspective, it's not that they're, it's not that they're bad people either. It's just like, that's an impossible job, but the people are so dependent mm -hmm. on this one little tiny district of Columbia versus being responsible in their local mm -hmm. communities. Cause if you start governing from your home and your neighborhood and your town, the whole country would get better a lot faster. And it would stay better because people would be involved, but people are so far removed. I mean, most people don't even know. Yeah. They can't even tell you how the Senate works or the Congress. You know, they don't even know what Congress is. They're like, oh, the Senate and the Congress. I'm like, you mean the House? <laughs> like, 
but it's crazy because most people mm-hmm. don't even have a basic understanding of how our government works, much less the local government, which I'm, I have to admit, I didn't know anything about local government until the last couple of years. And now that I've got somewhat involved in it, partly because of our charter school, we've had to fight the school board here. And it's like, whoa, this is insane. Like, this is why it's broken. It's not because of Washington. It's because of people. It's because of Americans. They don't care enough anymore. They not. They don't put the little bit of time it would take to be uh, intelligent voters. I was going to say something else, but informed. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah, informed. And that's the, the, <laughs> I had a terrible mind fart there. I'm like, starts with an ad. The love of journalism comes from me. Informed. I mean, that's. I mean. That's how you, uh, society communicates, how culture communicates through information and through their own thoughts, obviously. But there's a lot of the, um, I heard about a great program. It was on, I was, I just happened to be watching Fox News at the time. I watched a lot of different news organizations to get my information from a lot of different places. But uh, I was watching Fox News at the time and they had a veteran con that started this, uh, uh, getting, trying to get veterans elected or people that have been in the military elected. Um, because of how they work well together with others and because of their leadership qualities, a uh, Republican Democrat did both, and they made a pledge uh, to other members of the party, like so many members of another party, and complete a policy by so-and-so or by then or by some certain time. Um, and so he was on and he was advocating for that. And I think that had to do with like a lot of, of, a lot of people that um, used to run our government were, you know, walked and talked. Like they had all of it, like they went to war, like they were fighting for the principles that they were going for. At the same time, there's been such a dramatic drop in our veterans and, um, you know, in politics. And I can't believe them because it's disheartening. But, like, I believe that people that have those kind of patriotic qualities are the most important. And you know, a lot of people that don't want to go into politics are going to into politics, honestly. Yes, for sure. That's a huge part of it. Well, you look at soldiers and they're a different breed and they're like, mm-hmm. I don't want to deal with that bullshit. But we need we need those guys to be in there because they're yes. effective, they're organized, they're disciplined. And that's something that politicians just aren't. I mean, they, they don't care about – they don't have – it. there's no result. Like you look at Trump and what he's done so far. Um, and as far as being a president, mm-hmm. love him or hate him, wherever people sit on yes. this, he's effective. He runs, he does it like a business and he gets things done and he figures <laughs> it out. He's like, oh, it's not going to work. It's not going to work like that. Okay, let's try it like this. Okay, let's do this. It's, it, it, he's always mm-hmm. going, oh, okay, no, no. Oh, this person's being a pain in the ass. Cool. I'll troll him on Twitter. Now let's see how they like it. You know, and it, it's like, this is effective and people don't like it because it's uncomfortable because really as a country, we've gotten kind of lazy. But we need those kind of, we that's what we're missing. Everybody needs it. I mean, you know, and big corporations have kind of played a part in that because they've turned jobs into these mm-hmm. mindless soul sucking things. Whereas it used to be like if you work for a family run business, it's a completely different animal, but you care. You're invested because mm-hmm. everybody knows everybody and you know that if you don't do your job, it could hurt the company and you could lose your job. You know, with these big corporations, there's none of that. So I think there's a whole separation on government and business from the localized level that I think if we, if we could get people to go back to local level, we would see this country kind of revert back to, you know, it would revert to some of its better qualities real fast. Mm-hmm. That's another thing. People are so focused on national politics that sometimes don't really affect them instead of local politics, which do really 
Um, and so you're absolutely right. I definitely agree that it, it comes from the information age and that bias information, incorrect information, and um, uh, the the lack of realization that it's, it's locally that you need to focus all of your intentions on. That's where you can do your most good. That's where you can uh, have your voice heard um, clearly. Oh, for sure. Well, I think the we're still adapting to this, you know, Twitter, Facebook, all these different things that make everything like we're in Kylie Jenner's business 24 seven. Why? She, you've never even seen her. You probably never will see her mm-hmm. in your life. Right. So why do you care? So, but we all feel so connected and it's great. It has amazing, like you're out there getting your yeah. voice out. You know, we met because of social media. So there's, amazing positives but i think there's also a cultural adaptation that has to happen to where we learn how to control that mm-hmm. I, I i i detest celebrity it's quite horrible um it's 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 for me um i don't know i just it's in my bones that i just love our soldiers i love our marines i love coast guard whatever i love those kind of men and those kind of women those are the people i, I admire and those are the kind of people you know, not just in the military, but those kind of hardworking, honest, you know, leadership qualities that I admire so much instead of just people that can sing and dance. So I'm sure are perfectly fine people, most of them anyway, um, but it's just like the wrong, the wrong type of people to worship, I guess, in our culture. Oh, for sure. For sure. What? Well, and people act like they're some kind of savant when it, it's like, no, they're good. They have a talent and they're good at it, but that doesn't mean you should listen to their political advice. For sure. Don't do that. <laughs> Yeah, like think for yourself, think for yourself. Like it, it was yeah. very confusing growing up and having a lot of outspoken um, people that were listening to their music, outspoken, uh, you know, obviously very liberal, very democratic uh, celebrities or people that listen to it. It made me feel kind of weird. Like I don't think like that, and it's almost like you're trying to force me on to thinking like that. You know, like you're not part of the fandom, you're not part of the group. Like if you don't think like this, you know, kind of deal. And uh, there's a lot of like fan pages I follow. They're like, oh, and follow if you are black President Trump one or something like that. And stuff like that. And so I did. And so I just like, I cut myself off and like, well, like I'll still listen to their music. I'll still watch their shows or something like that. But it's like, I don't have to deal with this. I don't have to have you talking down to me on the bad person if I disagree with you. Oh, for sure. Well, it's like, I, one of my favorite bands is Panic at the Disco. I have very weird, mm-hmm. I have very weird taste in music. Um, and, you know, he, for a minute there, the lead singer was posting a bunch of Planned Parenthood, staying with Planned mm-hmm. Parenthood and stuff. It's like, dude, come on, man. Like, one, I know you don't know mm-hmm. anything about this issue. Like, for sure, dude, you're touring 300 days this year. Like, just why? But it, the way that it kind of happened to, like, it, it turned into this mob, like, anybody that disagreed with mm-hmm. it. And there was actually a lot of people that were like, hey, man. You know, I'm like 12 year olds going, I'm pro-life. Mm-hmm. Why do you like, why are you picking on me? And that, but the mobs that descended mm-hmm. upon them were just, just, it's vile, you know? And it's like, mm-hmm. it's so polarizing, but they never have a, like, they don't explain their position. They just say it like, you should listen to this. And if you don't, you're bad. Well, why? That's always like, why? Everybody should always learn to ask why. And it's like, they don't give a why ever. Colin Kaepernick can't even give a why. He lost his career because of his kneeling thing. He's never explained it very well. He's done more lately, but when he was doing it, it's like, okay, so you kneel, you piss everybody off during the anthem. And then after the game, you give like two word answers to everything. 
Shouldn't you get up there and eloquently defend your position, explain exactly why, and give specific examples of the incidents that are making you concerned and making you kneel for our national anthem? But no, Mm -hmm. no, it's there's a lot of hate in this country. That's it. It's like, yeah, of course there's a lot of hate. People are assholes. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it just, for me, it wasn't the correct venue. Uh, Sports, music, uh, that kind of entertainment is meant to be entertaining. I guess it can make you think. And a lot of things, like, I like, you know, the screenwriter, like Aaron Sorkin, he wrote, like, The West Wing and President. So I I love his writing as a writer. I admire him. Moneyball. I love all of his movies. But um, obviously, like, in the President West Wing, he favored, uh, you know, Democrats and conservatives with bad guys. And like in the newsroom, which is when he did, he had a Republican uh, newscaster, but he uh, espoused very liberal views. He wouldn't really get his Republican, you know, views out very much. But he's a great writer. But a lot of he did um, on the West Wing, I was surprised they had some, you know, Republican, uh, you know, statistics out there, if you will, and like the, you know, fact throwing there and set feelings. And I was surprised. So it can be done in a, in a artsy way. It can be done in a beautiful way. It can make you think. And I don't mind things that make you think. It's just Hollywood isn't meant to entertain and not inform. And I feel like if they force that on you, they're actually going. They make it worse for them. Oh, for sure. Well, when it, you it, it repels people more than it brings them in. Oh, a hundred percent. Well, that and like when you see, like you said, I, I actually always enjoyed The West Wing because mm-hmm. it was nuanced. It had. It wasn't just like all those people that disagree with us are racist. It wasn't that. You know, it was. It tended towards the liberal side, but it yes. was it took into account both sides. It treated them as legitimate mm-hmm. philosophical positions mm-hmm. that just don't aren't the same, right? So you go, okay, so how do we work through this? You know, and and even the right does this a lot mm-hmm. too. They're like, well, actually, this kind of leads into my my last my next question, which is, who are your favorite? Um, your favorite conservative figures and a couple, and who are your least favorite? So like um, pundits, if you will, like a Sean Hannity or a Milo Yiannopoulos or a, you know. I don't like Milo Yiannopoulos. He's a provocateur rather. I, I can agree with some of the things he says, but he does it to purposely upset people. He does it to get, you know, get a reaction instead of ideas. And I think it's one of the reasons like he can't debate like people like Ben Shapiro. No, he's smart. He's definitely smart. But he uh, he's very provocative sometimes. And I think as someone who wants to compromise so much, it's difficult um, for me to watch that. I think some of the things he says are extreme things. But he should always be able to speak on campus without riots going on or anything like that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And so Ben Shapiro is – I kind of admire him because he has a straight philosophy. But um, he also can be very, like, strange at times and very, like – his philosophy is so strict. That it doesn't allow for anything. And as an open-minded person, it's kind of like hard, like, hmm, like, can you give me, give them some leeway here? Can you understand? But I mean, he is, um, uh, admirable in the way that I, he's got it. He's got his everything figured out. He's very straight about it. He's got everything laid out for you. Even if I disagree with some of the things he says, um, most of the time I agree with, he comes from a, phil- a philosophical place where he comes in and reiterates his beliefs and he comes for reasons for it. Like there's always an explanation behind that. So I respect that a lot. And I want to be able to do that um, as a person who is very politically, uh, you know, incorrect. And um, <laughs> I want to be able to to back up my reasons. Like, I just don't want to say things to provoke people. You know, I believe them. It's just like, it's a very, that, that, you know. Yeah, well. Very straightforward. Well, with like a Milo. Now, I, I'll be honest. I freaking love Milo. Um, 
but I also like I, I I appreciate what he does in the sense of how he does it. Like you said, he is a provocateur. So that you mm-hmm. have to know this is what he does. Like he's mm-hmm. not going to come at you and have he's not going to talk to you in a mm-hmm. Shapiro manner. Having but he has and he does he gets people to think I partly because he's mm-hmm. gay and he's so odd. I think it kind of softens some of that. So I think there are some benefits to his style. Overall, though, in some ways, it does cheapen his style too because it, it, that that his, his mode is limiting. I feel the same way about Shapiro. His mode is limiting, like you said. Like he's so mm-hmm. philosophic. I always call Ben Shapiro. He's my favorite cuck. And yeah, and I I, I heard you. I watched your podcast about the cuck service. I did. Oh, okay. And so I knew what I was going to mention Ben Shapiro. I, I love it though. It's, yeah, it's um, it's you know that's why I like Trigari so much because I feel like he balances a perfect enough. He's not afraid to say what he's got to say, and he's got that lawyer background, and he's very he's a prosecutor. He's very intelligent, so that's why I admire him so much and like his friends on the hill. Well, and he doesn't come off like a lawyer. Shapiro no. does. Shapiro comes off like a Jewish lawyer. <laughs> that's how he comes off. You know, like he does. He's got you got the facts. You got to line up your facts. You got to make sure they all go to the end of the. But the one thing that bugs with Shapiro, like with Milo, he he's limited by the fact that he is a provocateur, right? So, because mm-hmm. Milo's a super intelligent guy too. Mm-hmm. He's brilliant. He's, is he Oxford or? Yeah, Oxford, I think. Educated. So he's a very, like, and when you read like his writing, certain articles he'll write that are more serious, you're like, holy moly, because yeah. he's very eloquent. Yes, he is. And I love the way that, I love the way that he speaks. But yeah, when he comes out dressed like Ivana Wall, yeah, you know, and and he's throwing out fifty f bombs at a college, at at the same time, it's like he he serves a purpose, and the purpose mm-hmm. is to trigger people, and I like that. Like we do it a little bit. I try not to go like I wouldn't do what Milo does, right? But I appreciate the utility in him, just like Ben Shapiro. Mm-hmm. Ben Shapiro is like the ultimate conservative fact repository. Like when it comes to that, now I disagree with him philosophically on certain things like free trade. He's so ideological about it that I think it lacks some fairness because you go, okay, free trade's great, but if we're supporting a state that's using state enforced slavery, we shouldn't, we should tariff them. We should force them to be more fair. They don't have to reach our level of income, but Mm -hmm. we should, we don't have to put a blinder on and go, the free markets will fix it all because they won't. There's no ideology that's perfect. And sometimes he treats some of his ideologies like they are. And that's the one thing I don't, that's the one place where I get a because he looks down on other conservatives for that. Like he'll talk crap about Trump, obviously, which is fine. But when he does it from that place where it's like, I'm better than you and you're just not a good enough conservative. That's when Shapiro for me, that's why I call him my favorite cuck. Because it's like, if I was going to get in a bar fight, I would pick Milo over Shapiro, even though I know Milo would not do anything because he's he he'd run away screaming. But I feel like Shapiro sometimes is too self righteous, and that's where I get a little worried because I feel like exactly. if, if I did something that that he thought wasn't good enough, he would, he he might he might stab me in the back. Whereas Milo, I don't think would. Milo would go oh. Them, I got your back. Yeah, like um, it's the difference between being a political commentator and being a politician. I think he has a lot of leeway to criticize people that we send into office. You know that we make with oh, yeah. consider when you get there. Oh yeah. And um, he's never he's never run for office. Um, you know sometimes I wish he would to see if anything would change in him if he did try to become. That would that would be that's a great point. 
if anything. I never thought of that before. Yeah, he's a certified genius. He went to like, what? He went to college when he was like sixteen or something. Graduate high school. Oh yeah. No. Oh he, yeah. Oh, like I said, he's literally a fact repository. I mean, that guy is, and that I think that's one of the things that frustrates me is, and I. I very big on first impressions. So the first time I ever saw him on, uh, it was, it was Facebook. I saw a video of him on Facebook. I was like, man, he's really good at that, but I don't like him. It's just something about his personality that I, and it's, and it's, it's proven mm-hmm. out in the way that he's handled certain, the Breitbart situation, Milo, even the way they go at each other. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of, you know, it's like, why are you got, like, you're cannibalizing yourselves at this point. And Milo is also guilty of it too. Cause he's mean. With Milo, though, Milo is a provocateur. He is mean. When Ben does it, it mm-hmm. tends to feel like, are you jealous or are you legitimately upset with him? You know, that's where that's where I get a little fuzzy with Ben Shapiro. Like I said, for a fact repository, he's the best. He's better than Milo, hands down. No, yeah. Nobody beats him. But when, but when it comes to being empathetic, that's where I think he gets a little weird. Yeah. For me. Yeah, I think it comes with that high intelligence kind of side. Yeah, he's very good socially. He doesn't have that charm socially. Like that, that, um, but he's got the facts, and Milo has that charm. Yeah, exactly. Oh, no, that's facts. for sure. Exactly. So kind of like if you combine the two of them and balance them, it'd be like the ultimate, you know, fact machine, charming, like conservative person, like, oh, you know, it, haphazard, thrown together thing. <laughs> if they could get their egos out of the way and work together, I think it would be amazing. Because I think they would actually temper each other sometimes too, where when Ben Shapiro goes, I want to criticize Trump meeting with Kim Kardashian because screw that. Well, it's like, yeah, but she's doing a good, Ben, she's doing a good thing. Just leave yeah. her alone. It's okay. You know, like he, Ben doesn't have that balance either because he is so, he is so deified and Milo is the same way because in his little in his section, mm-hmm. nobody really questions him, right? And in, like I feel like that's one of the problems is people break off. Like I still watch Ben Shapiro, I still watch Milo, I still read their articles. Don't always agree with it, but it's like I feel like people do pull away. It's like people are like, oh Milo, s- screw Milo, I like Ben Shapiro, and people go, oh screw Ben, I like Milo, they're worthless mm-hmm. to me. Like Ben Shapiro's uh, interview with Joe Rogan was fantastic. You know, and he's out there with Jordan Peterson and Brett Weinstein and all these cool guys. And you're like, well, he can't yeah. be all bad, <laughs> you know? That was another one. Jordan B. Peterson, I really expect, um, respect and admire him. He's a genius. Um, I, he's been demonized by people because uh, some people on the alt-right have agreed with what he said, but that doesn't have anything to do with what he said. It's not his fault that, you know, he's been demonized by the media very um, unfairly, very unjustly, but he's handled it so well and so eloquently. I really admire him uh, for standing by his beliefs and standing by his career and, uh, as a doctor and really uh, the 12 rules for life. Oh, book, that's amazing. Really I was, it's I was going to ask you if amazing. you read it. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It is. And I, uh, I'm a big reader. I read everything. Um, I read several books at a, at a time, actually. <laughs> I was going to say, as you've been talking, I'm like, Man, I thought I read a decent amount, but I started to feel like. Oh, no, no. I think it's a great discussion, really. Oh, no. It's it's great for me. My wife will tell you my ego needs to be popped all the time, constantly. <laughs> It'll grow exponentially. Yeah. Um, no, Peterson, I was going to ask you about Peterson because I knew we would be like on the same page completely with that. Mm-hmm. And sorry for going off on a yeah. tangent on Shapiro. I just. No, no. I, I love it's very interesting. I, I want to ask you about it because of the podcast. Yeah, I love my little cuck buddy. Like I said, um, <laughs> I, I do. It's just, 
well, and I'll expound on this because Ted Cruz, when he first came on the scene, I could not stand him. Mm -hmm. And my brother and my dad were like, dude, he's great. I'm like, don't like him. Any, and I, I'll, I'll, okay, I'm going to, there might be a little more background into this. Mm -hmm. I grew up very traditionally Catholic and I still am Catholic. Go to church every Sunday, all that good stuff. In Catholicism, there's a lot mm -hmm. of superiority complex in the faith, right? And always has been, always will be. Mm -hmm. um, but I, there's a lot of self-righteousness with certain people. And it's very off-putting to everybody else. Like they don't convert people for that reason. Like you'll never see that type convert. And Ted Cruz and Ben Shapiro kind of fall in that category for me. Because they believe they're so assured that they're right and what they think is right that they're not open to adjusting, adjustment or bringing in new information sometimes. Doesn't mean that they're wrong, but it that always makes me a little nervous is when somebody seems like they're a little too ideologically rigid. I get a little. Like Smith, I'm sorry, I was going to say like Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Kind of a Don Quixote, yes. if you will. I don't know if you've ever read that book. <laughs> you know what? I never have, and I feel I I feel bad now. Is it good? Um, it's, <laughs> your it's, face it's was. <laughs> your face was like. Woo. I don't know, it was the first modern novel. It's considered the first modern novel, and so it was a it's a satirical on all past um, you know knights and shining armor and damsels in distress, which is the only kind of really um, plays or. Uh, books out there and so it's very satirical but it's also very uh, philosophical at the same time speaking truths and everything it, it's very long it's got pages it's, it's um, got, uh, you know sophisticated writing but I read it but I read it and I'm glad I did um, uh, he Don Quixote is very self-righteous he's like an old man with the knight he reads too many books and he goes insane and he thinks he's a knight and it's misadventures in Spain with uh, his little sidekick Sancho Panza and he goes around and he uh, he made fun a lot he's um you know, criticized a lot and he's played tricks on the lot, but he never stops trying to get nice and he never uh, abandons his the philosophical code. And it's satirical in a way because the code in the books is kind of ridiculous. It's ridiculous, but he never stops. Following yeah. It. So you like admired him, you admire him, but you're like, come on, man. Like yeah, <laughs> you're crazy. You're crazy. Okay. That was a brilliant analogy. That was awesome. Cause that, oh, thank it, you. that's exactly how I see Ben Shapiro and Ted Cruz and some of the more, the more rigid, right. You know, and Mark Levin is another one that falls in that mm -hmm. category for me that where I just, I, I feel like they're, I honestly feel like they're really good for conservatives, but they tend mm -hmm. not to be the greatest for anybody that's not conservative. Yeah. They turn a lot of people off because of the lack of empathy, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like they're like, we're so right. And unless you're like us, you're not as good as us. And that always worries me a little bit. It's like, and again, coming from a very Catholic background where that happens a lot and you can see like little clicks inside church and different people that think they're better mm -hmm. Catholics than everybody else. So there's, it, it has a religious fervor to it. And that for me, it's like, I, let's not treat our politics like religion. Maybe let's not treat religion like religion. Yeah. <laughs> let's be a little more reasonable, you know? So, but again, like I said, I, I, I he's a, he's a good dude. I don't question that for a second. And he's yeah. a genius. Don't question that for a you second. You don't have to demonize someone if you disagree with them. That happens a lot in this political age. And, you know, yeah. And, um, you know, like Trey Gowdy, like I'm so sad that he's retiring because I think that uh, he can't wait till he gets out of Washington. I, I'm, I'm dreading it. 
I, I think that he's such a good force because he's got that charm and he's got that empathy and he's got the facts and he knows exactly what to do and he's not shaken. Um, like a lot of people will be if their politics are challenged and they're challenged on the Hill. Yeah. Well, I think with guys like Trey Gowdy and I love that you, that Trey Gowdy is like your, your guy. Yeah, he, he is. He really is an embodiment of kind of that. He's like, he's like Milo and Ben Shapiro's smushed together and made into a, yeah. you know, a, an entity. Right. Because like I said, with Shapiro, it's just that it's that I'm too right. Sometimes a little bit, I think he's afraid to be offensive where Milo, I respect that he really doesn't care sometimes to a detrimental point, <laughs> but that, have you ever heard of Michael Savage? Um, I might have. I'm Kate. What? He's a radio host. I, I'm not big on radio today. I'm trying to get more into it, but go ahead and say what you're going to say. Okay. So Michael's, I've been listening to him since I was 12 years old, oh, wow. but he's a, he's a Jew from New York. Um, he's Jewish Russian. Um, and he was a social worker, a botanist. He's a, got a doctorate in epidemiology from Berkeley. He's, mm. he's a, he's brilliant. But he was also very liberal in it when he was younger, into wow. maybe his forties, right? So he he went. He was in. Um, oh, I forget the name of the island. He went. He's he's got plants in the British Museum of Natural History that he discovered. <laughs> so he's got this very. He's very different than most. So he's like my number one all time political figure. He's amazing, and you can find him at Savage Nation if you search that on a podcast thing. I've seen that. I've seen that. I have. okay. Okay, I know what you're talking about now. Yeah, just listen to one and you'll be like, that was different because he is different. Like his show, he'll talk about everything. I call him the conservative Howard Stern because he can be offensive. He can be loud. He's not offensive in like a Milo way, just more like a New Yorker way. But he's also like an animals rights guy. He's very different. You'd be you're like, what the heck? He's changed my mind about things at times where I was like, Oh no, that's a liberal BS. And he'll be like, nope, not liberal BS. He's mm -hmm. like, sometimes we kid we get aside with the Democrats. And I'm like, now I have to think about this and study it. Damn it. Yeah. Those are the best kind of people that make you think. Oh yeah. And well, he'll talk about his dreams. Like he had this one dream about a white elephant. This was years ago, but I still remember it because that's the kind of yeah. guy he is. And he was like, he spent three hours delving into the meaning of his dream about a white elephant or owl. I think he said uh, one of each, but so that he does, his show is not like a Sean Hannity where it's, you know, wash, rinse, repeat, wash, rinse, repeat. It's always the same, you know, it's political talking and it's fine, but it, his is very different. And he's kind of, people don't know about him because Fox news banned him because some of the people at Fox news don't like him. Mark Levin doesn't like him. Rush Limbaugh doesn't like him because he'll criticize them and mm -hmm. he'll criticize, he criticized George Bush before any other conservative did. So he's just, he's one of those kind of very independent thinkers. So check him out yeah. because that. Okay. I will do that. Thank yeah. You. He's my idol. So when you go Ben Shapiro and all these guys, I'm like, you guys don't know about the savage, man. <laughs> he's <laughs> he's like, that. yeah, he's like, their, he's like their uncle. <laughs> that's, that's really cool. One of the reasons I was kind of nervous about doing the podcast is because like a lot of people in politics, they, like I said, I've used the word demonized before, like they paint you in a bad picture. And what you don't understand is that we're, we're people, we're multidimensional. You know, I change how I dress all the time. I change how I think all the time, I change how I talk all the time. You know, I'm, I'm not a brand, I'm a person. 
And that's what a lot of people forget. And so I was kind of nervous about doing the podcast, but I'm all about education experience. And I thought this talk would be really good for me. And, um, you know, and hopefully the people that hear this will know that too. You know, that's what I was hoping. But the guy that you're talking about, it sounds like uh, someone that I would admire who can put themselves out there and just be admired for that. Oh, yeah. He, you, he's amazing. And I, I've been listening to him for, it's almost 20 years now. So, and not every day, but I've listened to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of him. More, I've listened to him more than I've listened to any other single individual in the world. Right. Mm -hmm. But one of the things is he's a guy that doesn't care. And it's been, he could be much richer than he is much. He's, mm -hmm. he makes plenty of money. He's worth millions and millions of dollars, but he multiplied it by 10. If he would have just mm -hmm. towed the line and not pissed off some of the people he pissed off, but he's like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Those people, the people that don't care are the ones that tend to attract everyone because of their uniqueness and their individuality. I've had a lot of friends that, uh, you know, don't care what other people think. And sometimes I think I'm that friend. Uh, but coming into the political spectrum, you know, I've had issues with that, uh, wondering if people think of me, you know, just through social media and stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, it, it's very, it's very unnerving being a young person, still not knowing what you think or what the right thing to believe in is. Um, but you've got to admire people that just don't care and you can make a career out of that. 